0: You are listening to your community-supported radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Thursday, October twenty-first, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, rain has arrived and more is on the way. But the California report suggests it will take more than a few storms to undo the drought. In other state news, it came as a shock to some folks to learn that a Trump border wall contractor was hired to boost the state's vaccination efforts. After a roundup of regional news and weather, we'll have Brave Hearts and an essay by Molly Fisk.
1: This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. City of LA workers who remain unvaccinated may be getting a reprieve from a vaccine mandate that took effect Wednesday. But it won't last forever. Mayor Eric Garcetti says municipal workers who aren't fully vaccinated by December 18th should be, quote, prepared to lose their jobs. In L.A., KCRW's Daryl Satsman reports that a large number of municipal workers have yet to show proof of
2: full vaccination. The latest update from the city says that roughly 73% of employees report being fully vaccinated. But with a workforce of about 50,000 people, that leaves well over 10,000 employees out of compliance. LAPD Chief Michael Moore said this week that just 70% of his department is fully vaccinated, and the numbers are thought to be similar for L.A. firefighters. We're now past the initial deadline set by the City Council for employees to be fully vaccinated, but no one is being fired yet. A pending motion in the Council would extend the deadline until December 18th, and that's the date that Mayor Garcetti is now focusing on. He says the vaccine mandate is, quote, critical to protecting the health and safety of our workforce and the Angelinos we serve. Meanwhile, city employees seeking medical or religious exemptions were required to make those requests by Wednesday. For the California Report, I'm Daryl Satsman in Los Angeles. Rain has
1: been falling in much of Northern California, and the National Weather Service's Bay Area Division predicts more rain later this week. That's really good news for reducing wildfire risks. But what does it mean for the drought?
3: I think the main message here for everyone in the Bay Area is don't be fooled, don't get tricked into thinking that all this rain gets us out of a drought. It will help out with some fire danger in some places, but not the drought. State officials said we need about 140% of normal rain and snow to even get back to normal levels.
1: That's KQED climate reporter Ezra David Romero. Even if it's not a cure-all, Ezra says people should take advantage of the rain while it's here.
3: As the rains happen, it's a good time for people to turn off their outdoor irrigation, to inspect water lines for leaks, and to continue conserving water inside.
1: And whether it's outdoors or indoors, don't get complacent about water conservation. Remember, Governor Newsom declared a statewide drought emergency earlier this week. California has turned to an unusual partner for part of its COVID-19 response. It's the same company that built former President Donald Trump's border wall along the California-Mexico border. The no-bid $350 million contract has frustrated immigration advocates and community healthcare leaders. State government reporter Scott Rod has this Cap Radio investigation.
4: It's no secret Governor Gavin Newsom despised Trump's border wall. Here he is on CNN's Anderson Cooper 360 shortly after taking office.
1: But
5: 2,000-mile wall
1: is a monument to stupidity, not just vanity, to stupidity. It doesn't
5: solve the problem. Trump
4: hired a company called SLSCO to build his wall in California. Two years later, the Newsom administration hired the same company for COVID-19 response. The state desperately needed medical workers, and SLSCO had pivoted to healthcare services during the pandemic. The company provided thousands of medical staff who were sent to vaccination sites around the state. They also helped screen and immunize nearly 60,000 migrants at the border. In the shadow of the wall, SLSCO built to keep them out. It does raise... Questions about how that decision took place. Pedro Rios directs the U.S. Mexico border program for the American Friends Service Committee.
3: To me, what it shows is just a lack of historical memory to be able to hold accountable those companies that were profiting from that type of business.
4: We wanted to ask Newsom about this, but his office did not respond to our request for comment. SLSCO and the State Department of Public Health declined interview requests. In a statement, the company said it was honored to provide medical staffing to California. In an email, the Department of Public Health said SLSCO provided quality staff, many of whom were bilingual. The department claims this helped advance the state's effort to test and vaccinate underserved communities. Britta Guerrero is CEO of the Sacramento Native American Health Center. She disagrees.
6: We would have never considered a partnership like that.
4: The Native American Health Center helped organize vaccine clinics, including ones for undocumented Californians. Unbeknownst to Guerrero, the state sent 10 workers from SLSCO to staff the events. She says that could have jeopardized relationships with vulnerable patients who already distrust the healthcare system.
6: We represent black and brown communities, underserved folks. And keeping our communities and our patients safe is at the center of who we are. And so working with an organization that has done the opposite, it's hurtful.
4: Cap Radio spoke to multiple county public health departments who said staff from SLSCO served an important role in their vaccination efforts. Here's Sarah Boss, Madeira County's public health director.
6: We found that the quality of the staff was very good. They provided excellent service to our community and our residents on par with our expectations of our regular staff in Madera County.
4: Boss says she was unaware of the company's background building border walls. She added that her top priority as a public health director is to ensure residents have quality care and access to the vaccine. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod
1: in Sacramento. And you could read more about Scott's investigation at capradio.org.
5: Support for The California Report comes from Real California Milk, reminding listeners to take three simple steps to recycle gallon milk jugs. Pour it, cap it, bin it. Learn more at RecycleTheJug.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com.
1: All right, listeners, that is this edition of the California Report for Thursday, October 21st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Remember, we got a podcast, so check it out. And if you can, subscribe to it. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening.
0: In regional news, a series of storms is expected to move through northern California in the next five days, and the impact could be severe. The current storm will end Friday, with a stronger one moving in Saturday night. From Saturday night to Tuesday, the National Weather Service is forecasting periods of moderate to heavy rain in our region with 5 to 7.5 inches of precipitation in the Nevada City-Grass Valley area and snow levels down to around 6,000 feet elevation by midday Monday. The National Weather Service is predicting the heaviest precipitation for Sunday to Monday morning. Climate scientists use the term atmospheric river to describe what Northern California is expected to experience in the next few days. Atmospheric rivers are long, narrow bands in the atmosphere that transport water vapor. Atmospheric rivers are responsible for up to half of California's annual precipitation and can cause major flood damage. In our current drought conditions, rain can be beneficial, but it can also be hazardous. Flooding is possible, as are debris flows, those fast-moving mixtures of mud, ash, rocks, and trees that can occur when heavy rain meets a recent burn scar. This morning, there were already instances of street flooding in areas of Grass Valley and several reports on Ubinet.com of cars off the roadway in the slick conditions. Also from Ubinet.com, In anticipation of the storms, the Nevada Irrigation District will shut down water flows to all canals to make room for storm water. The shutdown is scheduled from Saturday morning through Tuesday. This is a typical NID practice during larger storm events to prevent overtopping of canals. Ubinet also has some suggestions for getting through a big storm safely, have sufficient food and water, pick up prescription medicine in advance, charge electronic devices, including phones, computers, and flashlights, and monitor local media outlets for updates. Residents may pick up free sandbags at four locations in Nevada County, sandbag filling stations are self-serve, and a shovel and gloves come in handy. The pickup locations are next to the Nevada County Warehouse at Highway 49 and East Broad Street in Nevada City, the Penn Valley Fire Protection District at 10513 Spenceville Road in Penn Valley, the North San Juan Community Hall at 10057 Reservoir Street in North San Juan, and the Higgins Fire Department at 10106 Comby Road in Auburn. The U.S. Forest Service in South Lake Tahoe announced today that after burning for two months, the Caldor Fire has been declared 100% contained. The Forest Service notes that work crews, fire-weakened trees, and smoldering fuel can still present a hazard in the fire area, and many recreational areas in El Dorado County remain closed. The Caldor Fire burned almost 222,000 acres. File this one under Nevada County Mysteries. Today's issue of the Union newspaper of Grass Valley reports that the food and toy run, which has roared through county streets every December since 1991, has come to an end. Tom Stacer, who founded the toy run and was its chief executive officer, declined to say what led to the decision to end the event. In reply to an email from the KVMR Evening News, Stacer said it's possible another organizer could take over the toy run he would not comment on the reasons for its demise. The food and toy run was a much-anticipated tradition in these parts. A caravan of motorcyclists gathered every holiday season to ride through Nevada City and Grass Valley to the Nevada County Fairgrounds, where they would deliver toys and food to hundreds of families. In regional weather, this evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, showers evolving into steady rain overnight, a low of 53 with the chance of rain at 100%. Half an inch of rainfall is possible. On Friday in Nevada City and Grass Valley, cloudy with rain ending in the afternoon, a high of 57 and a low of 48. As much as one inch of rain could fall on Friday. In Truckee tonight, clouds increasing with periods of showers later tonight, with a low in the mid-40s. Chance of rain is 60%. On Friday in Truckee, rain ending in the afternoon, with a high of 48 and a low of 33. Truckee's rainfall total could be nearly half an inch. In the Sierra tonight, snow levels above 9,000 feet, lowering to 6,500 to 8,000 feet Friday afternoon. The National Weather Service is forecasting one to two inches of snow at Donner Pass through Friday. In Sacramento tonight, partly cloudy, with rain developing early Friday, low near 60 degrees. On Friday in Sacramento, rain ending mid-morning, then cloudy with a high of 67 and a low of 53. Rainfall on Friday could total about a quarter of an inch.
2: Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts
6: where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis.
2: We are your hosts, William Wallace
6: and Betty Louise,
2: and these are the Bravehearts.
1: This will be the sixth installment of Braveheart's Betty Louise in conversation with social worker Kelly Gallagher, Grass Valley Police Chief Alex Gamelgard, and Grass Valley Police Officer Jonathan Brown. The City of Grass Valley was awarded over half a million dollars in partnership with the nonprofit Hospitality House as part of the California Violence Intervention and Prevention Grant. Hospitality House originally introduced the Peace Officers and Standards Training Curriculum, encouraging de-escalation and an awareness of mental health challenges, particularly in the homeless community. As part of the program, social workers and officers respond to calls and engage with the community together as partners. This episode dives right in with Officer Brown's explanation of essential care and service plans.
3: And just because we take somebody to jail, for instance, someone that we're working with, doesn't mean we're just dusting our hands off and, okay, oh well, that's done. Let's move to the next one. There's things that happen still behind the scenes, you know, we'll contact if they're a behavioral health client. We'll contact behavioral health, and they have a behavioral health worker actually in the jail that can connect with them and get them back on whatever resources they need, you know, whether it's the medication that they ran out of or that they're off or whatever the case is, or we can connect them with treatment where before they would say, no, I'm not going at all, but if they're in custody for a few days and whatever's in their system is no longer in their system, and then they're like, well, maybe I should get into treatment. It's a good idea. They can help provide that door-to-door service sometimes if it's available, drive them straight from jail to treatment facility. And that new opportunity has just been created. So it's it's not just that it's like, well, here we go. Let's toss them in there and go to the next one. It's still, there's still a plan to try to help them get through.
6: So awesome that they call you and I guess update you about how they're
3: doing. Yeah, update us how they're doing or if they have questions for us. Reaching um, out again for help. Or... Yeah, yeah. Because we, we we see them a lot, so if they have a concern or if they have something that they need, a lot of times they'll reach out to us because we're the ones on the street that see them often.
4: Is
6: there anything you want people to know, the community I mean, now, about this program and about homeless people that you encounter? Do you feel like there's misperceptions out there and that you'd like to clear up?
3: I feel like there are a lot of perceptions, some are accurate, some are not. It's like Kelly always says when this question comes up, I can probably say it for her, is we're one catastrophic event away from being homeless. It can happen to anybody. And I feel like that's your answer generally is it can happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. They're still human beings, you know. We don't need to be driving by and screaming and swearing and throwing things at people cuz they're homeless. But at the same time, there is also that factor involved where I'll have some people ask me from the community, well, how can I safely engage some of these people? Who says you can't? You know, just because someone's there doesn't mean it's safe to always engage some of these people. You know, they may be in crisis or under the influence or they might have violent tendencies. You never know. So So what
6: do you recommend for people when they come across someone?
3: I feel like it depends on the situation. So like, for instance, if you see somebody that is yelling at nobody, like there's no one there, but they're screaming at them and waving their hands or fist fighting with the air, it's probably not a good time to go up and offer them a cheeseburger. If somebody's sitting on the street corner panhandling and asking for money, that's not going to help them in the long run. And that's where we get those calls a lot of times. People are sitting on the corner panhandling. We'll go out and talk with them, find out, like, what do you really need? Like, what are you doing this for? Maybe they need food or whatever the case, and we can try to help connect them with that. Listen to your gut. It's usually right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If it doesn't seem like you should be talking to them at that point, you probably Mm -hmm. shouldn't be.
6: And if they're in a high emotional state, it's probably not the best time to approach, unless you're skilled.
3: Yeah, depending on what the scenario is. That's why we're here. And that's why we have teams like this. So call us and we can help navigate that. And we can call the person back too and give them an update if it's not private. And when you speak about dignity, people's life scenarios aren't something that we want to air out. But right. if you call us and their team's working or one of our officers are working, they'll respond, make sure the community's safe, do what they can for the individual, and also you know, make the referral to our CalVIP team.
6: Awesome. It's just a fabulous program. I'm so glad we're highlighting it.
2: Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind.
6: This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org.
0: And now, Molly Fisk.
3: Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet
5: I just wrote a really bad poem about the origins of those phrases with names in them. Oh, for Pete's sake, and heavens to Betsy. Wikipedia didn't have much useful to say, except first names can often be a substitution for God when you don't want to upset people who might be offended if you take his or her name in vain. I understand this with a phrase like, oh, for God's sake. But I'm not sure who would say, heavens to God. I don't run in God-mentioning circles, but I know whenever I visit Boulder, Utah, my friends there remind me that hearing God spoken in an unreligious way is worse for the locals than hearing those stronger terms we use that I can't voice here on the radio without being fined. Trying to keep it to darn, dang, drat, oh fudge, etc. is preferable. Personally, I've always imagined it was Pete Seeger's sake I was invoking. A man of conscience and heart who did so much good in the world despite playing the banjo. In situations like this, I think one is allowed to substitute any Pete you'd like. The politician involved in transportation who just adopted twins. The former controversial baseball player with a flowery last name. That musician who led all the children out of Hamlin. Anybody. As far as Betsy goes... Wikipedia thinks Betsy Ross might have been the original model, but they're just making that up. I love language and its weird turns of phrase, its oddball constructions, but predictably I love the old-fashioned stuff, the things I heard as a child, as when my grandmother used to tell us not to play too vigorously on a local hill, lest we go end over tea kettle. I knew what my end was, but always wondered which part of me was the tea kettle. I still wonder this. I'm not as fond of the modern-day constructions. This week, a horrible word has come into my sights. Shacket. I saw it in a women's clothing catalog, then on a website, and later my social media-savvy friends confirmed it for me. It's been around for at least a year, but until now, I've been spared. What, I thought? Shack as in decrepit toolshed? Some sort of shared racket? Shacket is an amalgamation of shirt and jacket. This item used to be called a shirt jacket, which to my ear is plenty short and has no need of further abbreviation. Who the heck even talks about these things? Of course it's all marketing. You can't just repedal clothing styles every 10 years anymore. Now you have to rename them as further proof they're exciting and not some dumb thing your parents wore to do yard work in the Connecticut suburbs. That oversized L.L. Bean shirt worn over a turtleneck in milder fall weather is not a shacket. Now you need to purchase, at ten times the price, something that looks just like it from Neiman Marcus or Gior. For the love of Mike, how can anyone possibly believe capitalism isn't a shell game? Shacket, indeed. And when I say Mike, of course, I mean former Chicago Bears football coach Mike Ditka,
0: That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30 p.m., a new edition of Money Matters with Mark Kuniberti, And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by Claudio Mendoza and airs every weekday at 6 p.m. Bravehearts was edited by Kelly Reese. As always, thanks for listening. Check out our website, kvmr.org, to hear expanded versions of many of our stories and interviews. Or you can always listen to the KVMR Evening News wherever you get your podcasts. And check in with KVMR for real-time updates on community news in case of emergency. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Four Paws Animal Clinic, providing medical, dental, surgical services, alternative therapies, and cat boarding for Cherish Companions on Searles Avenue, Nevada City. Dr. Susan Murphy and staff proudly support KVMR. FOURPAWSAC.com And Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years. Next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 530. Sundays, 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Have a wonderful Thursday evening.